0: Inside Track from Trustonic. This podcast brings together some of the leading minds from the mobile and automotive security industries to really get under the skin of how those worlds have been shaped, what drives them today, and what we can expect in the future. So please take a listen as we go beyond the headlines with the experts and market makers in their field. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with John France from the GSM Association. John hands up industry security on behalf of the GSMA 750 mobile operators and 400 plus ecosystem partners to ensure the sector both anticipates and addresses all manner of fraud, both now and into the future. It's good to have somebody that's obviously got a global remit on a number of the topics that that we talk about today. So, you know, it's fantastic that you can speak sort of obviously on behalf of many industry trends from a global perspective. Despite the fact that we're both sort of based here in the UK, we're both in in obviously global enterprises and organizations and and looking to kind of tackle global challenges rather than ones just sit within uh, the UK or indeed the EU. But one of the things that was quite interesting that sort of piqued interest recently was the fact that Apple had one of its trucks hijacked during sort of uh, its supply chain and distribution logistics journey and had around 5 million euros worth of devices stolen in one foul swoop. Obviously, that's always of interest to us in the sense that that's pretty much exactly the use case that we solve for. But just kind of picking up more broadly then, I was wondering if we could kind of start off really talking about some of the trends and the insights that, that also you guys see from a GSMA perspective, particularly around device theft in more more general terms so across obviously different regions the things that unite and unify there would be sort of the 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 age if you like or the the general sophistication around the device locks that are in place today despite the fact that device pricing has obviously tripled from a headline flagship perspective over the last 10 years Uh, and then the role that obviously the gsma plays plays in in fighting against that initiatives around IMEI blacklist etc and how sort of various elements of organised crime navigate around that and how it generally works. So a, a bit of an overview from a perspective would be a great place to start if that's all right.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you touch on an interesting point, which is the average cost of a handset is obviously gone up over time, including its functionality, sophistication, etc. They're attractive targets, not only for what they are, but also for what they can do and what they can contain. So um, physical asset security is obviously firstly the purview of the holder. We, we obviously encourage goods security. Uh, you mentioned the case, and that was in the delivery pipeline. Obviously, moving a large quantity of goods um, is a supply chain concern. Uh, less so for the GSMA, but obviously uh, a broader of interest, which is basically from factory to hand through the operator is, um, is a key journey, including how it gets personalized and obviously onboarded onto a network. The attractiveness is going up. The, uh, obviously, we, we've seen proliferation globally. I can't remember what the connection count is now, but there's more connections than are people on the planet, I believe. So fairly ubiquitous in terms of the number of devices out there. We do see different trends, market to market, theft of devices or compromise of them as well varies differently across the globe as to as to why some of it is is straight theft of the device for the device itself to to repurpose other times it's more logical attacks to do with things that are on the phone account attacks etc so it's a quite a broad gamut. Um, You mentioned one of the protection mechanisms is things like uh, the army blacklist, which is where uh, um, a device is stolen and is reported can be blacklisted so that a another operator, if someone swaps the SIM, tries to onboard that onto a network, the operator can look that up and, and block the device, in essence, bricking it. I think you alluded to that it doesn't have a universal take-up. Obviously, we encourage operators globally to go into that service and to use it actively along with law enforcement, reporting stolen devices, etc. But on top of that, as all things in security, a multi-layered approach is great to have. So if we look at some of the operating system functions as well, sort of blocking a device from that, that kind of angle also helps make it less attractive to an attacker or theft if it's blocked at the OS level, not just at the operator connectivity level. So, I think there is no particular one magic bullet that will solve the problem. It, it's a multi layered approach to cover off some of those reasons for theft.
0: Do you see across the globe what sort of kind of swings do you encounter from a theft perspective? Like, obviously, certain countries, as you point out, the device is stolen for its own sake and it's resold internationally again, often an organized crime issue. But again, you know, given the fact that we basically have our entire lives on our devices now, the value of the data that's actually on the device is oftentimes many times more valuable than, than the value of the, the physical handset itself sold on the black market.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting angle. Again, with uh, uh, sort of the more modern, up-to-date service uses, most of that data is, is recoverable through cloud and other mechanisms. So whilst the phone contains an appreciable amount of data, much of that is backed up, uh, somewhere, well, or hopefully is backed up. So it's recoverable from the user point of view. Uh, from the value of data itself, we don't have any particular empirical knowledge, but I think we're still seeing theft as a means of the device value rather than the data value. If we get into a little bit into things like potentially SIM swap, which is more of the account level rather than the device, those kind of attacks typically are to compromise third-party services like banking, etc., uh, mm. to intercept either one-time passwords or other means and methods. So the phone in itself has an intrinsic value because of its physicality and its worth. Its data value, I think, is usually not stolen for, I and mean, it's usually are protected either on the device itself by encryption and recovery through backup and then we're seeing it as an access device to other services and that's where potentially with the sim swap kind of angle comes in is probably where we're seeing the two exploits, so the, the theft, physical possession to repurpose, and the more logical attacks through things like SIM swap for account compromise, et cetera. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned sort of multi-factor authentication there as obviously being kind of a major beachhead for, for attackers and obviously leveraging the fact that SMS technology was never actually intended for a use case like that, and therefore it has obviously those in, inherent weaknesses. Are there sort of alternatives that you, you obviously suggest from a GSMA perspective, or is it a bit of a patchwork quilt of sort of like multiple layers, multiple parties all coming together to help solve the problem?
1: Yeah, it's actually a very hot topic, not only in, in the industry spheres, but also in, in the public sphere at the moment. We put quite a lot of effort into it. There's, there's a number of things we can do at the network level, like SSM fire warning, et cetera, around the signaling plane, et cetera. You say it was never designed for sort of high security applications, that that's true, but equally it's ubiquitous, it's available everywhere on, in every market, uh, the SMS component, so that's why it does get used. We definitely advocate that some second factor is better than no, no second factor, so mm. you know, if the only thing that can be used is SMS, absolutely it should be, because two factor is better than, than one factor. There are alternatives coming onto the markets. Some of them are more vendor specific, but we're, we're starting to see things like in the UK, we've got Misdyn Verify, which allows the third party to check the validity of the identifier and making sure that it's still integrity and they are who they say they are. There's a number of other initiatives. So we're, obviously we're seeing, if we look at the financial services sector, um, there's the sort of banking apps that embody it using the data channel and encryption not necessarily an operator-led initiative. So in that sense, it's a little bit of patchwork, but we are starting to see some really good alternatives come through. In terms of sort of industry initiatives, the Rich Communication Suite obviously offers a channel that is designed to be more secure than SMS ever was. Uh, Again, that's not, uh, not universally available where it can be used. So, again, a little bit of patchwork. Industry is trying to respond. Industry verticals are very interested, and we're working with a number of those. And actually, we have a financial services vertical community built up trying to attract banks, insurers, etc. cetera. And, and that's the first topic of conversation we're having is how do we um, improve the verification process, for want of a better word.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned, obviously, the role of various other elements within the overall ecosystem there, the OS providers for one. Yeah. And it's very interesting, you know, in terms of broader security, supply chain security, security of component parts that kind of flow into the overall mobile ecosystem. And you know, I think obviously as we've all seen over the last few months, some of those organizations have been leveraged, let's call it, in terms of their position globally and leveraged and used in ways they never really intended to to have an impact on other organizations from around the world, obviously, albeit kind of China or US or anywhere else. I know obviously a part of your role there is to have under your purview the the global supply chain challenges and obviously keeping an eye on those. I was wondering if you could speak to some of that for a moment and obviously just kind of get a bit of a view from GSMA on that one.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the global supply chain in, in terms of componentry and equipment is politely pressured at the moment because of some of the geopolitical tensions that, that are running around. You know, if I remove the reasonings why I am not, not going to get into the politics, the natural result is we're seeing constriction of componentry to certain vendors and manufacturers. And in essence, market enforced reduction of choice, which can be quite interesting. That's led to, at least in some of the software, the the higher layer services, a bifurcation availability. So if we look at things like Android and the Google mobile services that go with it, not being available in some markets because of some of those politics, that's actually kind of given us a, a split within the industry that is a little tough to reconcile, as sometimes on the security front. It's not insurmountable, but it, it introduces challenges in here. In, in terms of equipment supply and uh, more specifically on the network side, we're seeing that play out in vendor choice and the reduction in number of vendors that any given operator can, can choose in certain markets. And that will, in the in the face of 5G rollout, that's where it's really starting to play out in that um, some rounds have slowed because of some of those things, uh, notably in Sweden, their auction was delayed recently because of some of those concerns and because some court challenges. So we're, we're seeing that kind of impact. From a straight security point of view, sort of the logical security, many of the accusations leveled there are, are sort of unproven. so we're operating at the trade politics and also at the security end and they're getting quite confused in the middle. So some, some of what we do is is try to hold that mirror up and, and then sort of say look, technical security is one thing and then in essence uh, market security or availability is, is something slightly different. they do have an interplay but don't confuse the two directly.
0: Yeah, and you also mentioned, obviously, the the network equipment layer has obviously been heavily impacted. And probably for those that are not necessarily that familiar with a bit of the, the history there, it would be good to kind of just get a bit of a potted view from yourself in terms of how that market has actually changed over the years. I remember, obviously there was a dearth of choice <laughs> not even a couple of decades ago kind of showing our age a little bit now but you know that has a real impact as you say where operators are actually having to pause rollouts auction processes uh, are on hold etc just because there's a lack of options from that perspective but yeah it'd be good to kind of get your view there how some of those empires have fallen why they've fallen who's taken their place and probably where does it go next
1: Yeah, I can't quite sort of put my finger on it. It must be a little more than 10 years ago, but not much more, where we probably had sort of 15, 20 mainstream vendors in the network equipment market. Fallen's not a word I would use. I mean, what we did see was consolidation through the market through acquisition, etc. And roughly to where we are now, which is, depending on how you count, sort of four to five mainstream vendors. If we go back to that sort of geopolitics and trade kind of view, some markets are really down to a choice of two to three. And an enforced small number of vendors choice is is probably not, not the best for innovation. You know, um, diversity encourages innovation, etc. So we're sort of seeing that as a pressure. Market health uh, in that space is, is a pressure because we want obviously a, a vibrant, diverse, innovative the market to supply a kit that's uh, capable flexible and in the 5g era you know how we deploy what we deploy and what services run on it are going to be wildly different from previous generations mm. so um, so choice choice on how to do that and how it aligns with any given operators method of deployment and support uh, etc yeah it's a smaller market than is probably ideal in fact i think the uk government sorry to use the uk reference sort of commented on that you know, but the real question is, how do you encourage diversity uh, in in these times? Well, I, mean, I suppose we could touch a little bit on open networks and that kind of initiative, which is to disaggregate some of the network stack, which is to break it into slightly smaller components that are interoperable, to allow you know new entrants into the market to take up some of that space. It's interesting to know in the 5G era, it's very much more a sort of an IT game than it is, I'm going to call it, classical telco. So some of that innovation is obviously going to come through from the, you can't see him on a podcast, doing this sort of quotes of the IT world. will start to have more of a presence in core networks. Yeah, that's interesting. And
0: with those guys coming on board as well, and obviously with with open networks, it would be good to get your view in terms of what's happened in terms of price point there over the years as well. Like how much more or less expensive has it become? One would assume that with fewer options in the market to choose from from a vendor perspective, then obviously price sensitivity is obviously alters as a mirror image. But obviously with open network kind of coming in as well, then obviously that throws a, a new metric into the mix.
1: Yeah, I mean, cost of acquisition for an operable network is obviously, well, originally is what forced some of the consolidation. And it's really a balancing act, you know, because if, if you look at the total cost of ownership, it, it's not just what's in your network. It's also who, what functions you're providing and how you support it. All of those kind of things go into the mix. So looking at straight vendor equipment costs is one metric uh, where open will allow you to use more commoditized platforms may win out on some of the, you know, the core equipment costs. But then if you uh, temper that with support costs, systems integration maintenance that's a mix and and actually what we're seeing in the operator market is willingness to, to, to re-examine those and figure out what that blend might be. In terms of a, a trend, I'm, we're not seeing whether it's going uh, up or down in, in terms of total cost of ownership. We think that uh, broadening the market will probably have a, a drive-down effect, but equally the service richness of 5G architectures will have a drive-up effect as you as you move to meet some of those new opportunities. So it's a balancing act really. I think it's making the market a little more interesting Let's put it that
0: way. That's it. Well, there's never a dull moment in the mobile industry, that's for sure. But just in terms of mobile specifically, obviously we've talked about some of the 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 core devices that sit upon it. But also one of the other things that might be worth kind of mentioning is how that's obviously extending out and things like IoT is sometimes a throwaway phrase, but I think some of the more specific elements of that is you think about how obviously how mobility has moved into the automotive world. I know obviously that that kind of sits generally under your purview as well and an area of kind of growing interest for yourself within the GSMA capacity.
1: Yeah, so if we look at traditional way of looking at network, it's in a very horizontal way, which is, you know, we've got devices that connect to a core network um, uh, that ran and through to the core. That's, that's horizontal. In, in the service-based architectures we're moving to and the more sort of capability of a network has the more the vertical use cases or vertical industries start to have a bigger consideration so you've mentioned one which is vehicles v2x you know vehicle to things connectivity mobile operators or mobile networks are obviously moving to serve that market as much as uh, they are others but each of those markets brings a set of challenges with it so in in v2x you know high high speed movement of connected thing to have good network coverage low latency all of these kind of aspects come to play and they have to be catered for in the security world how you integrate connectivity into a vehicle is quite a, a key issue obviously we can go back a few years around um, some compromise of connectivity allowing you to get into um, sort of what we would lovingly call mission critical functions of a vehicle mm-hmm. steering, et and the vehicle manufacturers absolutely recognize this as well and again we have a community sort of built around automotive as and others i mentioned financial services for some of the things that are going on in that space and manufacturing is another vertical that we're heavily engaging with as we're starting to see manufacturing using cellular connectivity technologies for command and control running a factory campus networks as well they're doing interesting things in there so it's becoming a very uh, rich environment not only we got that horizontal capability increasing day by day especially into next-gen services but we're also starting to see the verticals sort of really putting some big bets in connectivity and and making sure they have um, a secure highly available resilient network is one of our key things to do as an industry make make sure that we can build and allow those businesses to build confidently on top of it
0: so does gsma perform sort of outreach into the automotive world then and, and if so by logical extension what are the verticals are you prioritizing in terms of like where do you go next so beyond traditional mobility multi-vehicle being one what are the other sort of like big ticket items that uh, you guys are looking at and approaching
1: I, I've actually think I've mentioned the two other big ones which is financial services and mm. manufacturing
0: is interesting in terms of kind of like the world of, of choice and kind of where we go next obviously you've only got to look at somebody like arm and uh, look at them sort of like shipping what what is it sort of like 30 billion on chipsets out the door every single year like where are they all going considering that mobile devices are going to probably consume what around sort of one to two of that something like that uh, order of magnitude but yeah very interesting you're saying about some of the other areas as well
1: we're talking sort of quite high up in the service layers. I mean, if we're talking things like generic IoT as well, mm-hmm. we're, expe- we're predicting something along the region of 25 billion devices connected by 2025. It's not that far mm-hmm. away, actually, Yeah, you know, so orders of magnitude of connectivity much higher. What those use cases will be for IoT are going to be very interesting. Some of them are obviously mentioned, in some of those verticals, but we've in the past and continue to cover things like agriculture, et cetera, digital twinning in that space kind of a fun concept that we had on one of our display stands was tracking cows for instance so i could see where daisy was in a field and and through sensors know how much water there is and how much green grass is available for them to eat so that that was a little bit of fun but in all seriousness it's those kind of things that where you bring connectivity to sensor technology to um, then you know large data machine learning etc have some really powerful use cases if we go back to automotive, we, obviously we have, we have a number of manufacturers that are members as well, likewise in aviation. So we're starting to see our membership. Definitely go beyond what most people would call traditional into sort of the non-traditional areas, and actually, it's it's quite a vibrant place. The GSMA, I was going to say, when we are in the office, not that we are at the moment. Some of the conversations you can pick up on are, are quite interesting. You you can literally go from down in the depths, network technologies and engineering, all the way into you know agriculture and all of what it's doing for farmers' yields.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a million and one use cases, right? I think what's very yeah. interesting, and we're starting to pick up quite a bit of this. Now is that next computing platforms beyond mobile devices. So a number of the large consumer electronics manufacturers looking at building augmented reality headsets again. I think it's pretty obvious in terms of when you have sort of Tim Cook standing up on stage saying, you know, the future of of Apple resides around augmented reality in some way, shape or form. Fairly unprecedented comments, same thing from a Facebook perspective. Obviously, they've got sort of announcements happening with the likes of Ray Ban, etc. I think it's very interesting that The vast majority of the consumer electronics giants are joined by not only social networks, but obviously search companies, et cetera. They're all kind of pouring their their weight behind this to drive an ecosystem um, and almost kind of force it into existence where it's not quite ready yet, I think, in terms of delivering on the vision, but in terms of connected things and certainly things that would... Potentially augment or replace devices in the fullness of time. I think that you know, one of the, the growth areas that we're seeing is we're getting a lot of interest coming beyond the mobile operator and handset manufacturer space, and now some green shoots picking up within augmented reality, in particular, given the fact that it is obviously wide area mobility, whereas something like virtual reality is largely you know sat on your couch at home. But that's a good growth one that we've seen.
1: Obviously, sort of one of the concepts, stroke realities we're seeing is the multi-edge compute which is sort of bringing the compute power a little closer to the edge of the network and obviously closer to the consumer of connectivity, which will help some of those use cases, especially in things like augmented reality, where sort of ultra-low latencies required near real-time communications. So that's a really good example of where traditionally operators may have just provided basic connectivity or, you know, a non-feature-rich connectivity. We're starting to see some services that actually will suit and have network attributes that'll suit some of those more demanding use cases. Mm, mm. and and putting a spin on that and keeping them secure at the same time
0: (laughs) that's always the rub yeah it
1: is always the rub (laughs) yeah i think
0: often in the race for ubiquity of the technology and driving it out there and this is kind of one of the things obviously we saw most acutely within the automotive sector as devices or devices as vehicles in in terms of a device um, had connectivity injected into it en masse very rapidly as you rightly point out a lot of those attack vectors were opened up incredibly quickly. And as you say, the mission critical elements of that particular device, that vehicle, the ability to control braking, steering, and various other things compromised pretty quickly. So it's it's quite surprising the number of attacks that, that have actually happened within that sector. But also what's probably more surprising is that not as many serious accidents or even fatal accidents as a result of some of that compromise, thankfully, so, yes, it's an industry that's highly motivated to close those incredibly quickly after they've happened. However, thinking about sort of security first from a planning perspective obviously would have negated a lot of those discrepancies and, and the ability to hack into them from the get go rather than trying to shut the barn door after the horse was bolted.
1: Yeah, I think if I comment sort of directly on that, what we've definitely seen a more mature response recently. When sort of developing and deploying such things, so manufacturers or service providers have, through some painful experiences, starting to learn lessons, and we're starting to see a much more mature response around secure by design kind of principles uh, through product development. I'm not saying that the industry's there totally; it's not. There's a lot more work to do, but we're not seeing as many of those really, I'm going to call naive mistakes. Um, much more considerations given to security. And actually, in terms of network technologies, fifth-generation networks, when we go to the standalone ones have much better provisions in them. They were architected in as part of their core design that would allow security of the network and obviously services that it provides. Things like you know, ePacker, allowing extend- extendable security um, uh, beyond cellular connectivity. And service-based architecture, it's just, it's just a much more mature environment. Yep. We've still got challenges. They'll still be there iot is a interesting area we tend to have devices that are low powered long life and sometimes deployed in environmentally challenging areas i.e you can't get them to update them which is a challenge but we've started to see not only lots of development in that space in terms of security we've got a number of initiatives within the gsma things like iot safe but we have also started to see some of the regulators move to that space as well so i think it was only Recently, that start of an IoT law was coming out in the US, for instance, at least for governmental purchased and deployed IoT devices, which will drive into the general market. We've seen the European Union have quite a lot of activity on this space as well. Yeah, Um, along with the NISA producing, obviously the GSMA guidelines uh, were developed and have been well recognised, and lots of other kind of push. So that's part of the the maturation cycle. Is you know we as the industry have pushed for it, and service developers have recognised the need for it. And it's better than it was. Not perfect, but better.
0: No, it's interesting, isn't it? Now you have kind of organisations like the UN, for example, getting involved in stipulating automotive security uh, standardisation and regulations to the point where if you don't adhere to those, you won't be able to sell those vehicles in certain markets. So, yeah, it's good to obviously see that it's being taken on at such lofty heights as well. But. But I think probably one of the things to to sort of like leave it on a note in terms of from a GSMA perspective, obviously, one of the things that you guys are most famous for is clearly Mobile World Congress. Didn't have that the, this year. And indeed, it's been delayed from February into, I think it's June for next year now. So, yeah,
1: uh, we're holding it in June back in Barcelona.
0: Excellent, excellent. I'll see you there for some tapas. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm um, looking forward to it too. But uh, yeah, I think that's the, obviously, it's not the only event. You guys obviously host a whole host of events all over the world, and, and we're very thankful for it. So we're looking forward to getting out of our home offices and uh, getting back to some of those events. Probably not quite so many as we got to before, and probably that's probably a good thing. So thankfully so. But some of the key ones, such as Mobile World Congress, definitely I'm looking forward to kind of getting back to that one as a fundamental pillar of the mobile industry yeah, across the board. So we'll be happy to
1: pick up the conversation there on out. Yeah, we will welcome all comers in June back to Mobile World Congress. It has been challenging times. I I would actually say the mobile industry broadly has allowed, you know, many people to stay in contact with each other. Uh, The networks have proven to be resilient through COVID pressure. So glad to see that as well. I'm not so glad to see that we're still in challenging times, but the horizon is looking a little brighter with the development of vaccines and such like. So we're hoping to see a few more people face-to-face, Virtual's good, but so is face-to-face, and hoping to welcome yourself and many of your listeners to Mobile World Congress in June. Awesome.
0: All right, that's great. Thank you very much for your time today, John. Look forward to seeing you there, and thank you again for your time
1: today. Okay, thanks for the opportunity, and have a great day.